0: Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we begin a brand new series, The Nation's Rage. We just saw a bunch of fearsome imagery of things that look like they can overcome anything. Hurricanes, giant forest fires, volcanoes. They look like they can take on anything. Many times we put together plans as human beings that feel like they can take on anything too, that they're truly going to be in charge of whatever might come against them. Yet time and again, we're reminded that we're not in charge. Psalm 2 is going to take us through a journey reminding us of what we try to do as human beings, how it falls short, and who's really in charge, and where we can find peace in that. I think we could all use that right now. So let's come before the God of peace and ask that he would guide us, because this isn't just about the nations and the earth in general. This is about how we live our lives every day. And our God is there with us as we study this. So let's come before him now. Father, thank you for your presence, that you place your spirit amongst us, that we we don't go into a study of any part of your word alone, but we go into it with your body, your, your church, and with your spirit with us. As we study Psalm 2 now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the things that you would have us to see, to be reminded of your love and your grace, and to see how we can be made to be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you drive down the road, you probably see the billboards. And certainly, when you pull off the highway, you you see intersections So on these signs that say, Be your own boss. Work 20 hours a week and make $200,000, things like that. Or maybe you get the mailers in the mail. You certainly get them as email spam as well. There's, of course, the little ads that show up at the bottom of news articles, sometimes in further reading that that say, learn this one weird trick to make thousands of dollars. And part of that appeal, of course, is the fact that you can make thousands of dollars. But the other part of the appeal, I think, is, is more than that, which is that you can make thousands of dollars being your own boss. Be in charge. Stop the rat race and just be in control. It appeals to us. The idea that we don't have to let someone else control us. We can just do this one easy thing and suddenly we don't have to worry about what other people think. Of course, it never turns out to be that simple, but the appeal is there because we know that those who will be our human bosses are going to have lots of flaws. You more than likely have a boss right now, or you've had bosses and you know that they're not necessarily always the people that you'd like to be around all the time telling you what to do because we think we know better. And that's how we are throughout life. We would like to be in charge. It's rare that we really want other people to be telling us exactly what to do. Maybe in a certain situation, or we're tired and it'd be nice just not to have to think, but but we human beings like to be in control. And, And it's true a lot of times that it would be easier. There's plenty of times where We're working for someone and that person doesn't see everything clearly, is maybe just grumpy or hard to please, and it would be nice not to have to please that person. The problem with this desire that we have, though, is it goes beyond human bosses, and we start to want to have the boss job with God as well. We we want to find the, the little sign alongside the road that says, be your own God, be in charge, make eternal life by just putting in 20 hours a week, and not have to worry about the God of the Bible. And we start to meditate on our plans to see how we can bring that about. How can we bring the the explosion, the the fire to the situation and be in control with that unstoppable force. And so we meditate on how we think things should be and, and how we want things to be. And as we do, we focus inward. We focus on our plans or we focus on the plans of those that might go along with us, but we lose sight of God. And that's what we're reminded of as we dig into Psalm 2. We looked at Psalm 1 a number of months ago on Steadfast and, and talked about how it led us to delight further in God. This is sort of thinking about the opposite, about when we failed to delight in God. And Let's go ahead and look at the first couple of verses to get started. Psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, and hold on to that for a moment, we're going to get to what they're saying, but let's, before we get to what they're saying, let's just think for a moment about what's happening here. We have the leaders of the world, we're told, the nations, the peoples, the kings, the rulers, they're, they're taking counsel amongst themselves talking to themselves. How, how can we do this? How can we be in control? And we see here this distinction between kings and rulers. There's debate on exactly how we divide them up. Uh, verse 10, more than likely, your your English Bible uses the word rulers again, but there's two different words for rulers here. So we, we see a variety of different kinds of, of leadership being described here. Uh, poetic, maybe term for for leader, for the one ruler, maybe a dignitary for the other. But I, I think the, the point that we're really looking for here is all the different sorts of people that are in charge. Sometimes we're those people, sometimes we're those wishing we were those people, while other people are those people. But we know what leaders are like. There's lots and lots of people trying to lead all kinds of things all over our world, all throughout our lives. And the psalmist doesn't want us to think of one narrow category like kings or today presidents or or congresspeople or mayors or whatever. He wants us to be thinking about leaders. We see all kinds in life. And, and we see throughout scripture different sorts of leaders with different capacities and different positions of power, different realms of influence doing things, sometimes pleasing to God, sometimes not so pleasing to God. For example, one commentator noted that this king and ruler division could break up very nicely as we think about those who judge Jesus. We have Herod, who is a king, and we have Pilate, who is not a king, but certainly a type of ruler. Two kinds of rulers, both looking in their own counsel what they think would be wise rather than what God would think would be wise. So we have different kinds of rulers all the way up to the king. And the Bible's going to challenge kings, and it's important that it challenges kings because in that time period, many people believed that kings were actually part of the gods. They were themselves divine. And so in many countries, you didn't challenge the king because the king was a god. You leave the gods alone. You do what they want. They weren't just powerful. They were divine. And so the Bible's going to say that's not how God views kings, however. And it's going to challenge us as we put leaders on pedestals like that where we should just do what they want and, and think what they think because they tell us so. And it says, wait a second here. The the leaders of the world, the, the nations and the peoples and the kings and the rulers, they take counsel amongst themselves. And why are they doing that? Why are they doing that together? They're doing it against the Lord and his anointed. Now, We could make this a really nice discussion about all the bad leaders we can think of and and we've been talking about bad leaders in our last series, but the Psalm is going to turn this around a little and point it towards us as well. And that's actually where it starts. Think about this for a moment, what we see in verse one. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Yes, the kings and the rulers, they're going to lead those people to do things, but, but we start off with the nations and the peoples. In other words, all of us. And so this challenge on, on taking counsel amongst ourselves and raging against the Lord and his plans, it's not just about all those people, the, the, the people in D.C., the people in Jefferson City, the people in, in the United Nations, the people in whatever kind of leadership we can think about. If you're tuning in from a different country tonight, whatever your leadership is, we all have our complaints But as we complain about them, we should see how much also falls upon us. How are we plotting in vain? How are we raging? How are we taking counsel in our own hearts and amongst those around us, rather than from God's word? I think the psalmist wants to make sure we don't just turn that conviction device against other people, but we feel convicted in this. And that echoes Psalm 14. If we take a look there, Now, we're probably familiar with that psalm, that portion of that psalm, even more so from Romans chapter 3 where Paul quotes it. as part of his argument that we don't have the righteousness to save ourselves, that our righteousness comes from God. But it's there in the Old Testament. When, When we look at the peoples of the Old Testament striving to make their own plans and take charge, and oftentimes we see how that leads them astray from God. That psalm was there speaking about them. And it continues to speak to us as well. There is none who are righteous. We're not righteous. The, the people in our churches aren't righteous. The, the pastors of our churches aren't righteous. The leaders of our nation aren't righteous. The leaders of our state aren't righteous. There's none righteous. We're not going to find anyone. So whatever level we look at, we all fall into this trap that we're plotting in vain. We're, we're plotting about how we think things should be. We're trying to become our own boss. And Satan loves to put up those little signs alongside the intersections of the road that that call to us. Just call this number or go to this website and and become your own boss. Be in control. And in our lives, we, we rage against how things are and oftentimes even how God calls us to live because it doesn't fit with what we'd like and we think it'd be so much better if I were in charge. Why do things have to go the way that they are? Sometimes we don't understand, and and Scripture says we're not always going to understand. If you turn to the book of Job, it it doesn't answer the question of why suffering exists, for example. It says that it's going to be something that we don't always understand. Maybe someday, maybe in God's heavenly presence, he'll finally explain everything to us, and it will make perfect sense. Maybe in in perfection, we'll be able to understand it. But, But right now, we don't understand everything. But we feel like we do. We feel like we're in charge, and so we make those plots in vain, and and we rage when it seems like God isn't allowing our plans, our plots, to come together the way that we think we should. And and sometimes we just take off, and we feel like we have everything in control. We have a, a perfect hurricane force plan that nothing is going to be able to stop. I'm told that's in vain. It's lots of noise. Reminds me of. Of perhaps the most famous scene in Shakespeare's Macbeth. And if you've read Macbeth at some point, these words are probably going to sound familiar to you. These words are in, in Act 5. And, and Macbeth is, is a story about a man who rises to become the King of Scotland through murder. He, he uses trickery and deceit to gain power and to secure power. He, he's plotted, to, he's gone from being a loyal soldier to one who plots constantly and ever more cynically trying to hold on to power, plotting in vain. And, and then in the midst of it, as he's trying to somehow hold on in, in increasing madness to thinking that he has everything under control, he's told that his wife has died. We see this disease of madness and, and grasping of, for power consume her in those last moments of her life as well. And then Macbeth says these words, he says, life's but a walking shadow, a A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. He comes to the end of his plan. I think it's such a a powerful scene because here's a man who has schemed his way to become the the king of a nation. It comes apart. In fact, his own plan consumes him because as he seeks to gain more and more power and to secure that power in a lasting way, the very attempt to to hold on to that power will ultimately rob him of it. It seemed like it had so much meaning, but it's just sound and fury. It's just a storm going by. It's going to pass. It's just a story, he says, told by an idiot, someone who is completely delusional. And indeed, Macbeth, at this point, is delusional. Now, that's... Story of a fictional king or a fictionalized version of a king, but but here's the thing we basically do the same thing we we plot and we strive and we try to hold on to power, and yet if that's our definition of what life means, if that's where we think it's going to draw power, at some point we're going to see everything that looked so powerful, all those plans are just full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. May that not be where we land. So often we do because we spend our time, this this word plot here is the same word used in Psalm 1 in a very different context. And it's worth looking at that. If we go back to Psalm 1, verse 2. In Psalm 1, we're told of the blessed man and the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on the law, he meditates day and night. That word translated meditates there. It's the same word, in, in Psalm 2, that's translated plots. You see, the blessed man, he looks at God's word, he holds on to God's word, and he's meditating on it day and night, and we're told that that man is blessed. But what about the, the person or the people in Psalm 2? Well, they're meditating on something too, but they're meditating on their own plots and plans. We're often doing that. And we see there that the one builds up and brings blessing because we're we're meditating on what really matters. We're not meditating on on sound and fury, we're meditating on a solid, graspable, lasting, eternal thing. So often instead we chase after the wind, and it passes when we put all of our energy towards meditating on our own plots and plans the the problem is we not only end up putting a lot of worth in things that that have no worth and will ultimately disappoint we start to misunderstand whom it is that we're called to serve what is god's character really like we see that in what these people doing the plotting and planning actually say let's take a look now at what they say verse three let us burst their bonds apart and cast Away their cords from us. Now who is it that they're seeking to rebel from? Just to remind ourselves this there there is the Lord and against his anoint is it the Lord and His anointed? what we see in verse two and we'll get more into the Lord and his anointed in the coming weeks. but if you know a bit about biblical prophecy and what we find even in the Psalms about what's coming, we know the anointed is ultimately about the Messiah, about Jesus. So we'll get there in a few weeks, but but here we just need to think about this for a moment. They don't, The people rebelling don't necessarily understand it's about Jesus. They understand there's a God, and they, they may have some faint idea. Maybe even today, many people might know the name Jesus, but they don't really understand who he is. And so all, where they land, where we often land, is we, we look at what God demands of us, and we should be careful even in that word. See, we slip into that. God demands of us. And that's how they're feeling. God's demanding of us. So let's burst away the bonds and cast away the cords. And and we, we look at these these demands and say, oh, this horrible, terrible slave driver. It's like the, the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal sons who, who comes to the father after the, the younger son has returned from, from years away. And the, the father's welcoming him back with open arms, showing him grace. The elder brother talks about how he slaved for the father. He's been loyal to the father. He's done what the father has called him to do. But he hasn't really had a loving relationship with the father because he just sees himself as a slave to a cruel taskmaster. And that's basically the language we see here as well. Jesus is later on going to say that his his yoke is easy. In other words... We need to understand who God is, because while God is going to call us to do very hard things, sometimes even give our very life, in a sense, this is completely wrong. we We might say, well, it sounds about right. God's demanding heavy things. And yet, what do we come to time and again? What are we reminded of even when we look at something like Psalm 14 earlier and how no one is righteous? That what really matters, what we really need to do to earn God's favor is simply come before him, to receive the forgiveness that he offers us, to, to enjoy the relationship that he offers us, so that we're not that elder brother saying, I'm just a, a slave under a cruel taskmaster, but I'm a child of God. You see, you can't say what they're saying here, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us, if we're thinking in terms of a loving Heavenly Father who, who's adopted us and, and welcomed us into his presence who places his spirit within us and, and goes everywhere with us. It doesn't make sense. When When we look at what God demands and we realize these are things that God calls us to for our own good and and he gives us the strength to do them and, and when we don't get them right, we're not failing to earn salvation. Rather, God gives us the salvation and then calls us to be more like him. When we, when we see how God turns everything on his head, we realize that Talk about bursting the bonds from him. To cast away the cords these placed upon us. Well, those cords are things that we've placed upon ourselves. So often because we're so busy plotting in vain and and then raging against why isn't everything working and and putting demands on ourselves that fit into our own plots and then blaming God for it. But in our misplaced focus, we've missed the point entirely. Not only are we doing the things that are displeasing to God, we don't even understand who God is. This isn't something new. It's not something we just do today. It's not something that, that you do or I do and no one else has done before. In fact, it goes all the way back to the very first temptation and sin. If you are called back in Genesis chapter 3, take a look at what the serpent says. It says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice how the serpent begins there. He says, did God really say this really cruel thing? All these beautiful trees around you, you can't take any of the fruit off of it? And if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God has said no such thing. He said that Adam and Eve were not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One particular tree. But he didn't say anything about all the trees. And Eve's going to respond, and there's going to be a conversation there. But what, what the serpent is seeking to do and succeeds at doing, at least to some extent, is to get Eve feeling like God is a cruel taskmaster. Because even as she corrects the serpent, there's a, a, a chink in the armor, as it were, where she's starting to think, well, but God, okay, he isn't quite as tough as the serpent just made out. But he seems kind of tough. And oftentimes, even as we hear people talking correctly about God and and the things that he requires of us, we say, well, God isn't that tough. But then we look at our own lives and and the the things that we're trying to do to be more like Christ, and we say, but it does seem like he's kind of rough. It does seem like I'm on my own a lot trying to pull all this together. We start to fall into this trap of, of thinking that God is someone who puts bonds, puts shackles upon us man's from us. And we read Jesus saying that his yoke is easy, and we think, what are you talking about, Jesus? seems like we need to burst these bonds, burst off these cords. And we keep trying on our own. We keep plotting in vain, because we're told that all people do. But in that, we're missing the point. We're, we're maybe striving in some sense to be good people. Most people will say, I'm trying to be a good person but doing so in a way that's not really helpful. It's not completing the mission. And so it's a lot of work for nothing. Maybe it's even actually damaging to what we really should be doing. It's not just missing it. It's not just going in a different direction, not accomplishing something. It's actually anti-accomplishing it. It's actually digging us further and further into a hole away from God because we're so focused on ourselves. It becomes harder and harder and harder to see what God is calling us to be and more importantly, who God is. We're missing the point. And sometimes even when we're doing things that are pleasing to God, we miss the point in this way because we take something that God's called us to do and we start to plot around it, figuring out how we're going to do it on our own, and soon we've turned it into something completely different. I was thinking back to to college and, and one literature assignment, I was an English major, one literature assignment I was doing that I missed part of the point on it and I remember I I don't remember what I was writing about. This sort of shows how much I was missing the point. I had an assignment to write on a piece of literature and I I started figuring out what I wanted to say and what the structure of the piece was and what the point was and so on. And then I would read an article online about this fascinating scam that was going on that sort of sounded like what I was supposed to be writing about. So I thought, I'll begin with an opening illustration. Yeah, you know, preachers. Uh, it wasn't one yet, but you just you just gotta have illustrations, right? So, so I, I have this illustration. I start writing it out, and the next thing you know, there's like a page and a half opening illustration in a ten page paper. And remember, I, the professor liked my overall point when it was all said and done, but he left a note on it saying, "Too long of illustration." In hindsight, looking at it, it was obvious. Yeah, I'd spent a significant portion of that paper writing about something that was only meant to serve and explain the real point of the paper, where it was really going. The story that I was supposed to be writing an essay on that was really exciting in its own, it didn't need a page and a half about something else. Maybe you can think about sermons you've heard where that has happened, I think probably most of us can, and it, maybe even a really engaging story, and you can remember that story. I can still remember the story I wrote about uh, on, this, on this paper, but I can't even remember what the paper was about overall. And maybe we can think of illustrations we've heard in church, or on the radio, or on podcasts they are the same way. But here's the thing, it's not just about... When an illustration goes awry and takes over, it's about really our lives because in every aspect of what we do, we have a tendency to run into that same thing. We we overvalue stuff that isn't as important and miss what's really important that that God's called us to. His character and following Him, and so it is that that in our lives, just like we think about those illustrations that we've forgotten the, the what they were really illustrating about Scripture and we just remember the story or my assignment and how I've forgotten what it, it was even supposed to be illustrating, what the text was, what the book was. A lot of times we do that. Maybe you're in that place right now. You think about something that you've been doing, something you even started out. I'm, I'm going to do this because I think it's pleasing to God. It's in, uh, in line with his word. We've gotten down the road to the point that we, we remember where we've decided we want to head to, but we no longer even remember what it really has to do with God's calling in our life. Maybe we even are so focused on it and wondering why it's not going well because we've now elevated this to a point of importance. that We start to rage against God. We start to say, I need to burst out these bonds because what I'm having to do as a, as a Christian or as someone who is thinking about being a Christian It sounds just too hard. I I don't want anything to do with this cruel taskmaster of a God. And Psalm 2 is calling us to recognize in our own hearts how often when we're at that point, and actually every time we're at that point, what we've done is we've missed the point. We've written that page and a half illustration and forgotten what we're actually trying to illustrate. In our lives, what we're trying to illustrate is God's goodness, to to reflect on his love, to experience his love, and then to show other people his love. Are our actions actually centered around who God is and who he wants us to be showing his love, or have we gotten off onto a rabbit trail? When we think we have it all under control, or we try to take over and, and, and put our plans into motion, we're going to fall into that trap. And this psalm's cautioning us. Remember who is really in control. The nations, the peoples, us, in other words, are going to rage, are going to plot in vain. But we're not in control. That's a really good thing, because the one who is in control is very, very good. So as we go through the rest of the psalm, let's think about that very, very good God over these coming weeks. Because we may not be in control, but he is, and he's good, and he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing how even as we read your word and reflect on things that you want us to do and in ways you want us to live that that we turn those things into bonds that we see what we've built around it, the demands that we've placed, the the dreams that we've dreamt and we forget what you've actually called us to be and to do. Yet somehow in our twisted sense and the rage that we can experience and the the uncertainty and the confusion and and taking counsel amongst our, our, just in ourself or amongst those around us, we start to see you as placing cruel and and unbearable demands upon us rather than seeing that you're the one who frees us from the bonds of, of sin that ensnares us. May we not do that, but instead see your love that we may trust in you and and then reflect that love to a world that desperately needs it because they're in that same boat that we are plotting in vain and, and raging at things that aren't working. Lord, would you help us and would you guide us and would you remind us of your grace and make us instruments of your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope this was an encouragement to you tonight, just thinking about the God who loves you, who's with you, that who who understands what we're going through. He's given us this word so that we know that he's there with us and that he knows our tendencies. But as he looks at us and none of us are righteous, that he's there to offer us his righteousness. And so if it has been encouragement to you, you can encourage someone else with it as well. Please share this using your social media. Hit the share button, subscribe to our channel, hit the like button. All these things, they're not just meaningless little actions they actually do help to get the word out someone else probably needs to hear this tonight that you know and that's because god's eternal word is always there to encourage us hope you'll join me next week as we continue to think about the god who is in control and that's where we're going next week as we look at the next few verses of this um god's in control in this chaotic world that we live in and i hope you'll be here next monday night at 7 p.m to think about that before we get to that though sunday night we have the wrap-up of our current sunday night in-person worship series citizens of joy i hope that you'll join us at 5:30 p.m it will be a wonderful time together i'd love to see you there and it's just a joy it's certainly a joy if you can be there in person we'd love to see you in person And if you're online, what a joy it is. We have such a wonderful, loving online community as well. So please do, however you can be there, be there on Sunday night and then join me again on Monday night. If there's any way I can be praying for you today, any way I can encourage you, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below and we can pray for each other. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week and I'll see you again next week.